0: Hi, this is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv/wanderingdms and youtube.com/wanderingdms/live. And now, on with the show. Hi, everyone.
1: Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. On this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about stat generation in D&D. I mean, maybe that's the most important thing that you deal with when you start a new Dungeons & Dragons campaign or character. So today we're going to be talking about different methods for stat generation, different measures that they result, and the critical question to roll or not to roll your abilities. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. Paul, you seem to be wandering. I think we've had a yeah. number of episodes recently where we're wandering, so we, we had a little bit of a, of a technical glitch. I hope people are finding a live show today, uh, and Paul yeah. is doing a heroic effort getting the show running from. Where the hell are you, Paul?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, up, up on, a, on a lake in uh, northern New Hampshire right now. Uh, I, w- I, would, uh, I would love uh, for you all to see this gorgeous lake to my side here, but of course the lighting is such that it's just the, uh, all you get is the sun. <laughs> and a bright white uh, square but trust me gorgeous lake outside right right there
1: <laughs> the sun what yeah, what yeah. kind of crazy person are you paul <laughs> yeah, you know
0: like you know and like like all good gamers on a gorgeous sunny day out in nature we are inside talking about games
1: as as <laughs> the summer should be paul i think <laughs> But yeah. let's get into it. So stat generation, I mean, I, I got in, you know, I was like, oh, what a great topic. And I'm like, oh, no, this is like my whole life has been spent <laughs> analyzing this. And I'm sure that our, our viewers have, I'm sure, an encyclopedic knowledge of some of the issues. So, let, you know, let's do this in backwards order because that actually might be a more interesting way to do this. So let's start with the most recent edition of, of Dungeons and Dragons. Let's start with sixth edition, Paul. Does that make? Sixth? We, okay, we can, sure. Yeah. That's right. Wow. That, I mean, do they even
0: call it six? Is that really what it's called, Dan?
1: Well, not no. yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so some of you may know the news that just came out uh, just one or two days ago. Actually, is that uh, Wizards of the Coast announced that they are running their playtest for the next edition of D anD D, and you can get playtest materials on uh, D&D beyond and 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 no they're cagely not calling it 6th edition yet they're calling it confusingly they're calling it D&D 1 which is going to be all kinds of trouble for those of right. us that or might actually still play first edition D&D isn't
0: it isn't it even more weirdly backwards and it's like 1 D&D or something like that is that what it is <laughs> yeah, i think it's something really weird like that yeah, but i mean right. to be fair 5th edition was called next right like like that's. I was just having this conversation with some folks last night of how like I was talking about six edition. They're like, "Oh, is six edition coming out?" And I said, "Well, they're not calling it six yet, but that's what we're all going to call it."
1: It seems like I dug up some of the marketing materials the other day. Actually, I'm probably going to throw that in my blog tomorrow morning. And it seems like what they're saying so far, and of course they want to promote it the best way they can, seems very, very similar to what they said about 5th edition exactly 10 years ago. We're not going to call it 5th edition, and we want it to unify all the editions, and we want everybody to be all playing the game, and we want it to be very modular. And um, uh, you know, if, if there if there are fifteen competing standards, this is the standard that's going to unify all of them.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: uh, so you know, and those are all good motivations. I get it. Um, but yes, they claim that they they're not calling it a sixth edition, but we know what's going to happen based on prior history. So anyway, so if you look at the current document that they've released, is just on character generation, and at least what that document says is, it says basically we're going to be using the fifth edition rules for almost everything except for these pieces that we're adding or changing. And there's absolutely no talk about stat generation in it. So apparently the stat generation at this moment in sixth edition is exactly 100% what it is in fifth edition. Okay.
0: Well, that makes it easy to talk about, right? Let's talk about fifth edition.
2: Yeah, let's talk about fifth edition, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great.
1: So yeah, so there's the uh, there's the slice of text out of the the official fifth edition player's handbook, and uh, technically, if you read that, uh, there's three. And I think most people that that play fifth edition or or basically recent editions are probably familiar with this. Um, the 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 number one thing out of the gate for fifth edition is you can roll. You can take four d six. You can roll the four d six, drop the low one, take the results, and put them in any order that you want for your abilities. Um, And then it says in the same paragraph, it says, if you don't like this, you can use this standard array of 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 8, which basically have the same average actually as the 46 Mm. drop low. And then, and apparently that first paragraph, the players are automatically given the choice of those two different methods. Um, And then Mm. third, further down the page, there's uh, this thing marked variant uh, that at the dungeon master's option, you can z- use this point by method and take twenty seven points and pay for your abilities on this table at the bottom there. And I think uh, what what do you what do you what do you think gets most used actually out of those those three different things, Paul? Uh,
0: I would expect it's to the standard dice rolling forty six drop the lowest.
1: Really? Okay. No? All right. Yeah. That might it's possibly f- surprise me actually.
0: It's the first one listed, right? I mean, yeah most common one first is my assumption and 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 i and that's that's my assumption is based solely on like anecdotal what i hear from other people what they're doing i mean the thing oh, is gamers like to roll dice right so like t- any of these systems that take away the dice rolling like you lose a little bit of that, that that gambling nature which is i understand why some people are like no we want it more standardized we want don't want to have a party where one person is a god and another person
2: is, you know, feeble. But
0: I don't know. We like our dice. Put, I'm going to put
1: David's. So, yeah. so our, our viewer, David Heron, is saying, I bet that the array is most used. and I think, Standard array. Mm. Yeah. I, I feel like the... Um and, and Joshua is saying the same thing. Joshua is saying my experience is the standard array is most common. Really? Um yeah, my impression from the online discourse is the same, actually, as I do think, hmm. kind of like what you just said, people are sufficiently bothered by uh varying variation between the PCs that I, I I if we took a survey, I would bet that probably more people are using standard array than rolling dice these days. That is really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I I'm actually surprised the, that
0: the mm-hmm. I always thought the standard array was a speed thing. Like, for like, you're just generating lots of characters and just you want to go faster. You don't want to be bogged down with rolling dice or, or buying, doing point buys. So, here's just, just use these numbers. Um, so, like, I could see DMs using them when they're like prepping a game for mm-hmm. a convention, say, right? Like, that's. I would probably use it in that case. I just don't want to roll a bunch of dice. I just want to boom, standard array done. Now, now I'm wondering. I wonder if the standard array has become more popular in the digital age, right? As more people are playing on Roll Twenty or using D and D Beyond, maybe you know, the physical dice are less of a thing, and standard array is fast. I got to give it that. Like it is fast.
1: Yeah, uh, those are all clearly advantages. Uh, and, and William in the in the chat is also saying he uses um, the standard array, uh, mm-hmm. particularly if we're in a zone where, you know, maybe as characters a little bit more complicated to make you make them in advance right off the yeah. table, you might not you yeah. won't have the DM there to actually witness the roles. So assuming that you're offloading that stuff to D&D Beyond and you're making characters maybe from multiple campaigns, or at least before the game, the standard array gives, you know, something that's easy to uh, to uh, to audit, um, mm. as opposed to rolling dice offline and just tr- and trusting the players. Because I mean, I I certainly in my day I've had players that would cheat, <laughs> would cheat my pants off any really? which way they could with that. Yeah, mm. so I, would worry I, about can see, I can see I can see a lot of those.
0: my my fear with the standard array is that it just adds a certain homogeneity to things that like. And you're never going to see a character with, what, higher than a 15? It's the best score you're ever going to see is a 15.
1: You know, racial modifiers come in after that and maybe right. add one or two or something like that. But you're right. You're right. You can't, you can't just start off with an 18 with that.
0: Also, also, it's worth pointing out, of course, that in fifth edition, you have the, the mechanic that didn't exist in earlier editions of uh, stat increase as you level up. Right. That is basically a standard thing as you're leveling up, you're getting bonuses to stats. And I feel like, I wonder if that kind of changes the view of stats and their importance and uh, how much they vary from character to character that, that, that you're kind of doing point by later, right?
1: Yeah, I admit yeah, that's an interesting point. I think, that, um, I think that's a major point, actually. In fact, I was prepping for this, and then mm-hmm. just like minutes before the show, I went, oh, man, we got to talk about how the, the abilities go up over time, um, which, again, in old school wasn't a thing. I think that started in third. Am I right? I think third edition came in with it the is? stat increases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Someone mm-hmm. could correct me if I'm wrong about that. Was it uh, it maybe an either or choice
0: in third where like you were either using feats or stat increase? Or am I making that
1: up? I don't think so. I think I think that's a fifth edition thing, I believe. That's a fifth edition thing? Okay. I think fifth edition, you can either increase ability or get a feat. In third, you were definitely gonna get both.
0: Right. Right. Well, feats were much more standardized in third, which is why I bring that up, because I feel like in fifth the choice is feat versus ability scores less of a choice if you're not using. You know, obviously if you're not using the feet rules. And I feel like that is a bigger debate amongst fifth edition players as to whether use whether not to use feats at
1: all. Got it. Yep. Got it. That's Interesting. It. Interesting.
0: Hmm. Let's go back and forth. <laughs> so one thing, you know,
1: one thing that, okay. that, 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 that affected your your guess at that Paul is you said here in fifth, the, the very first thing they talk about is the rolling the 46 drop one, then there's a the hmm. standard array, then there's a point by um i didn't i didn't get an image of it but interestingly fourth edition has the exact same three methods so i feel Mm -hmm. like you know in earlier editions we'll see you know a a larger uh, array of possibilities but fourth edition had the exact same three methods except that it uh, gave it in a different order um in fourth edition the very first thing they talked about was standard array And then the second thing that they talked about was point by and then the very last thing they said was like if you're some kind of crazy person you might want to roll dice namely 46 (laughs) drop low order it how you want so i think there's been at least you know since 2008 there's been at least some impression that standard array might actually be the first thing that people turn to Mm -hmm. um and fifth edition tried to bring back tried to bring back the you know original concept of rolling dice is the first thing but i'm i would guess that probably not that there's a lot of reasons why people have gotten away from the dice unfortunately
0: well i think there's another angle of this discussion that we should have which i'm going to introduce now and we can revisit as we go back through editions which is how important are these ability scores anyway right like how how impactful are they on your character and on how you play your character? And I feel like the answer in fifth edition is very, that they are hugely important. And, um, and, and am I, am I right in remembering that like the, I believe in fifth by fifth edition, the bonuses are a linear progression. That's correct. Right. Mm-hmm. Every two Since or every three points. Yep. Every, yeah. Yeah. every two, It's up by one. Um right, and it's really the modifiers, right? Like also also I'll bring up that like when you look at fifth edition character sheets, that's when we start to see the trend of flipping the importance of the modifier versus the stat. Right? You start to yeah. see these character sheets where you have a big box for what is your plus and then a small box for what is the actual score. Right. Right. Um Agreed. And and, and that's, so that's really that's really interesting, I think.
1: Yeah. The bonuses have been stable since third edition, right? So third, fourth, fifth edition use the exact same mechanic for what bonuses the abilities give you. And that really, for what it's worth, that actually spawns out of a mechanic in the first edition uh, Dungeoneer Survival Guide. Actually, it's Oriental Adventures, actually, they started to bring in skill proficiencies that improved by two pips per point in your ability. So um, that actually, in, by third edition, that the whole system turned into that basically. Um, and can you can you
0: bring up can you bring up the most recent comment here by Kevin Thompson? Um, mm-hmm. I think that's also an interesting point. Um, there you go. Uh, so Kevin writes right, so Ke- to me. It's
2: a go ahead, Paul.
0: Uh, right, uh, Kevin says to me, it's a question. Uh if you agree to let players pick their class before they roll instead of after. Which is fascinating to me because this came up recently in your playthrough of the Gold Box games. Yep. Um Right. So so just as a weird counterpoint, uh playing Dan's been playing Pool of Radiance, uh from what, nineteen eighty
1: three that game came out? Nineteen eighty eight. I, mean, it's, it's, play. I play modern games, Paul.
0: 88. Modern games. Late yeah, 80s. <laughs> um, so uh, right, and that's an implementation of first edition D&D. And one of the interesting things is uh, when it runs you through character generation, it generates the stats. No, it makes you pick the racing class first, and then it generates the stats. And, and there's a point in there, right, where you can modify the stats. And allegedly, the, the, the reason for that is because uh, it wants to allow you to, like, take your paper characters and translate them into the game, supposedly. That's the reason for that.
1: Um, not cheating. It's, but, not, it's not so yeah, everybody can cheat your ass
0: off at it. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's not cheating. But the interesting thing for me was always, like, the main reason for wanting to do that or wanting to, like, reroll Because you could also hit a reroll button, I think. Right? You could say, like, no, I don't like these stats. Reroll okay. them. And the main reason for doing those things is because, well, I just picked to play a fighter and then my stats are like really high int and really low strength. So what the hell? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, that's the, that was always the logic for me for, for saying like, okay, I'll hit the reroll button a couple times because if I was playing this in paper, I would have rolled the stats first, looked at the numbers and went, oh, this character's got a really high strength. Therefore, I'm going to make them a fighter rather than the other right. way around.
1: Right. What do we get in fifth edition, Dan? What, what comes first? Stats?
0: Class?
1: Uh, I'm so glad you asked, cause I, th- th- and you're right. This is you and Kevin are right that that's actually an enormous that might to me that it's weirdly might possibly the biggest question in my mind about, like, what are stat generations? What's the whole point of it? And uh, yeah, fifth edition, you pick race and class and then your abilities. Fourth edition, same thing. Race and class, yeah. and then your abilities. Third edition is this transition point where, interestingly, in third edition, step one is you roll your abilities, then mm-hmm. you pick your race and class, and then you assign your abilities. Isn't that interesting? So you actually that you is. generate six in right in third edition, you generate six numbers, you haven't assigned them yet. Then you pick yep. your race and class. Then you assign the six numbers. Um, now before that, right? Second edition, first edition, zero edition, you definitely assigned your abilities first. And based on that, you pick your race and class. And third edition is this pivot point where they're like, eh, it's kind of both, <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: Interesting, interesting. Yeah, and, uh, right. I, and this, I didn't
1: remember that until I looked that up this morning, but I was like, really? How fascinating right. is that?
0: Yeah, yeah. And this, this brings us to this sort of like um, argument that you and I have had, or, or, or interpretation you and I have had about like, You know, do you come to the table with a character in mind and try to create it versus do you let the game generate a character for you and then you run with it, right? And it does feel like that has shifted over time, right? It does feel like the mechanics of 5th edition um, definitely, and the way I hear 5th edition players talk about their characters is, oh, I have this great character idea I can't wait to go make it, right? Whereas opposed to like old school, more often I get the notion of like I'm going to sit down at the table, roll some dice, and see what I get.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Maybe we should jump to the first slide. Maybe we should we jump back to the root of this whole thing, because I think it's going to blow some people's minds what original okay. D&D actually says about ability score generation. So it should be the very is first this, slide. Is um, this the explanation of abilities one? No, it's the, no, it's the other one. Um, uh, <laughs>
2: Yeah, it unfortunately says, uh, my slide. Determination, de-
1: determination of abilities Great. is what it says. At Thank the top. you very much. Yeah. There, there
2: you, you go. go. Great.
1: Um, okay. so this is the this is the original DD volume one text from 1974. And mm-hmm. I think that this first sentence is just really fascinating because it actually says prior to the character selection by players, it is necessary for the referee to roll three six-sided dice in order to rate each as to various abilities and thus aid them in selecting a role. And then here come your standard abilities, strength intelligence, and so forth. So in in original D&D, what it actually says is the players don't have any any part in (laughs) determining their abilities whatsoever, including even rolling the dice. The referee rolls 3d6 in order, hands it to the player, and the idiom there is that by looking at which one is higher, That'll give you a clue about what choice to pick for your race and class that comes next. Now, weirdly, the ex- the one example that you've got on there specifically calls out, here's the abilities, you know, 6 Strength, 11 Intelligence, 13 Wisdom, and the player chose to play a magic user, we we call a wizard now, and that was a mistake. They should have picked a cleric, dumb player, but that's on them. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> it's like that's all that a player can do that that was a bad choice uh but you can pick you can pick a bad class um so how fascinating is that and I, and I think about this myself in fact maybe um you know if we think about playing online again this whole question of like you know does the dm audit what the player did i mean that would solve the online auditing problem if the dm just handed you six abilities and said deal with this suck it yeah. <laughs> right
0: that is fascinating that is fascinating
1: now let me defend yeah, this a little yeah. bit okay that might yeah, look totally yeah. insane but to me i think there is a reasonable point of this imagine if you will that you have never heard about any role-playing game and in fact the the, the term role-playing game hasn't even been invented when this book comes out right you you, you don't know what D is you have no idea what this whole hobby is like and you don't know any of the abilities you know any of the six abilities, you have no idea what the class options are, and you have no idea what the race options are. This actually does give a completely blank new player an easy way into the game, right? You don't need to learn the six abilities because you're not going to choose among them. You you don't really you don't need to know all the classes because the DM can just say this would be best for a cleric, but you can play something else if you want to, right? And admittedly, you know, in the in the third edition era, I have had a game that I tried to run with brand new players. Right. And I said, roll your four d six, order them what you want, and you're going to pick race and class later. And they and those players got really bogged down because they felt that they had to understand all the different ramifications in the entire game of all the modifiers, mm-hmm. of all the six abilities, of all the 10 races, of all the 12 classes before they could make those choices, and we wound up not actually playing. Um, so I, th- I actually do see a little bit of an advantage if you're in this position where D&D has not existed in the world and no one knows anything about it. Bam, here's your abilities. You don't need to, don't need to learn anything to get started with the game, and this actually informs you what class you should pick.
2: Hmm.
1: I mean,
0: why not go the final step then and play it like we often do at conventions where we just say, uh-huh. Here's a stack of character sheets, pick one.
1: Yep. Because the DM doesn't want to do that work.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I prep for that question. I thought that, that's yeah. an excellent yeah. question. Yeah. I had to think about that myself yeah. before. And, and and this this is truly low uh uh you know, low DM prep of they didn't want to mm. go. But no, I agree. If you do have that option, then actually that's that that actually does I I I actually the, the truth is in practice nowadays I actually agree with that. If I am gonna do that, yeah, just have a stack of characters and and uh you can pick or what you do, Paul, is you have the players roll dice for the order that they pick.
0: Right, right. Yeah, which is gives you a little bit of gambling and, and also just uh subverts the whole awkward social encounter of a bunch of people, especially at a convention where there are people who don't really know each other and they're sitting down at the table mm-hmm. for the first time and it's like who gets to go first, who gets first pick out of right. I would really, you know, people come to the table with a lot of different expectations and a lot of different wants, and uh, whether that's, you know, I have a very strong idea of what I want to play versus, like, I don't know what I'm doing, somebody help me. Um, by by falling back on the dice like that, you just say, like, look, there's rules, and they're arbitrary, and somebody wins and somebody loses, and you figure that out via dice. Um, but I like that. I like that a lot. But I like you know, frankly, anytime I've run an introductory game, whether it's at a convention or just for a group of people who've never gotten to play before, that is generally how I run it, is I pre-make a bunch of characters. And I just bring a table, and I say, here are a bunch of characters. It also, frankly, is a great way for me to introduce the idea in old-school gaming that um, that uh, life is cheap for these characters, that, like, there's a good chance you might die, because I, I set that tone immediately by handing them a, ca- a stack of character sheets that's maybe twice the number that are actually needed. And I say, this is, well, partly that's to give you a little extra choice and partly it's so that when your character dies, there's another one for you to play.
1: I like that moment. I actually, I I totally agree with that. (laughs) Um, A number of our viewers were anticipating that, you know, pre-gens would would be a good solution to this issue. And, you know, and, you know, for what's worth, now we have, you know, software tools that didn't exist and it's frankly easier uh, to generate a whole bunch of characters um and, and get you know sheets printed out whereas when you know in 1974 when this was first done you would have had to do every single bit of that by hand true true right yeah
0: yeah i mean it it is important to remember that like like i remember playing dnd in the mid 80s and like just getting someone to actually photocopy a character sheet was an ordeal right like maybe I would go down to the library. Maybe they would have a Xerox machine, or maybe I, you know, could get my dad to take the character sheet into his office and and use mm-hmm. the company equipment to make character, make photocopies. But they were precious. I remember, I remember taking an old character sheet and erasing everything so I could reuse it.
1: <laughs> that you're yeah. That's I mean you're you there's a there's a three thousand year tradition of that Paul of scraping. Yeah scraping paper in order to reuse the papyrus, right? Maybe someday someone will use an x-ray machine to try to detect what the original character was under that.
2: Oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness.
1: But I'm in the exact, so, sa- right, exact same thing for me, and my mother was the exact same thing. And, and at some point, you know, the, the first edition AD&D character sheets that were on this goldenrod paper, and at some point, my mother found you know goldenrod colored paper. So I, actually, I was like, oh, my god, that's the most amazing. That's the best gift ever. Fantastic! <laughs> right? Fantastic. I, I was so She's thrilled about the correct that. color. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh,
0: amazing, amazing. <laughs> um, all right, let let me ask you some questions here about uh, original edition here. Um, so, when, I want to go back and review some of the things we talked about with fifth edition, uh, oh. specifically. Like, let's start with just how important are the stats? How important is it to have a high intelligence magic user in zero edition, Dan? How bad is this, when this guy, when this player said, I have a 13 wisdom but an 11 intelligence, I'm going to play a magic user. Is it going to be the worst magic user in the game?
1: (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) Uh, The the other thing that I think people would be surprised about is how how much less important, which is what I think you're getting at, how much less important the abilities were in uh, original uh, D&D, in particular, the, um, you know, so the, right out of the book, volume one had three classes, right? You had fighter, what we'd call wizard and cleric. And the first three abilities, right? Strength, intelligence, wisdom are what they call prime requisites to support those classes. And they have no game in-game effect whatsoever. Strength, yep. intelligence and wisdom in original d had zero in-game effect. What they did affect and frankly, I'm not super fond of this mechanic is they affected, uh, they gave a bonus to received experience points. So, for those okay. fighter, cleric, wizard characters, when you get experience, you'd get maybe 10% or 20% added XP based on your strength, and intelligence, so wisdom. Other than that, absolutely no effect in the game. I've never really three-
0: understood, honestly. Do you know why? Why is the experience bonus in there? It? it feels I- like it was an attempt to correct something. That's, that's the best I can say. Like, I think,
1: honestly, I think that it's a bumbling... I, I think it's an early, quick attempt. Like, shouldn't strength be good for fighters? Yes. Shouldn't intelligence be good for wizards? Yes. And it was uh, a, frankly, ham-handed attempt at, yeah. you know, addressing that. Right, um, right. Yeah. I don't... I, I'm not... You know, that's something that when I play original d and I wipe, you know, I strip out. Yeah. I don't I don't think that yeah. was a terribly good mechanic. <clears throat> I yeah. know that's probably heresy yeah. for certain for certain audience members. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, no, no, now, wait, now what I'll say where, where the stats did matter, right, is really the physical stats, yeah. right? You have strength and t- uh, strength, dexterity constitution directly impacting your, your to hit nope. armor class. And no, nope.
1: and, and nope. no, no, not an, not an original not. D&D strength had no effect in original no D, effect. out of the box. No effect. Just experience for fighters. No effect other than that whatsoever. Right? Um, do I get a
0: constitution bonus to my hit points?
1: You do. So the, for the three abilities no. that are not tied to classes, dexterity, constitution, charisma, they have a little bit of effect. Dexterity and constitution okay. will add up to one point. It will add hmm. Dexterity will add one point to your hit with missiles, and constitution will add one point to your hit points per level if you have a very high score, like I think 15 or above. That's it the end wow um yeah and of course charisma actually might be the most important ability because that one actually dictates whether you can get five or 12 henchmen following you so you know as we get away from that of course charisma became a dump stat people would say but technically out of the book charisma was the most important one because it determined whether you had five or 15 henchmen uh, assisting you Mm. But hmm. physically in the fight, the dexterity and constitution gave you either minus one or plus one. That's it. The end. So when when
0: yeah, this, this is fascinating here for me, because, um, of course, you know, Dan and I both these days play uh, original edition Delta a lot. Right. Which is which is a set of house rules that Dan has published on top of zero edition. Um, but the funny thing is that my background is more BX. Right. That's really yeah. I'm. My, and, that's, and that often I think comes through when we have these discussions and I, and I realize I have all these blind spots about zero edition because I have this assumption of BX as a basis. But I was house ruling BX in a direction that was more similar to the, the, the direction Dan was house ruling zero edition. We kind of like met in the middle, I feel like. Um, <laughs> so I'm always curious. So like, where did, my question I guess is, when did we start seeing things like Bonus to hit for high strength, like you use that right in zero edition elf. I do, I no do, and yeah. I re- you're
1: right. I replace the XP thing, right? So I re- there's got to be something. I agree with that. I replace that the XP yeah. thing with that makes more sense. Uh, admittedly, um, uh, one year later. Okay, so uh, originally D&D came out in seventy four. One year later, in seventy five, you had the first supplement, the Greyhawk supplement, and yes, then you've got these major tables, and they're identical to what you see in first edition, right? Advanced D&D, yep. and now you get these expanded tables for strength and the per- the decimal score for strength and spell, you know, intelligence giving you spells for wizards and stuff like that. Um, and, and and it says right, it does say right in that supplement fighters need some additional boost to you know maintain their power versus wizards so here comes this this big table with lots of bonuses for strength way way more complicated than what you see nowadays in fifth edition but admittedly yeah. one year later he was moving in that direction maintained the xp awards um and then uh with with you know bx that you played with moldvay very wisely simplified that to a much simpler um a much simpler bonus scheme which looks you know quite a bit frankly like the fifth edition scheme
0: right i would say though so here's my my arguments coming from a BX standpoint yeah um and and then also i'm going to be confused and misremember when the linear progression came along because of vx the modifier was a was a bell curve right yeah yep. um anyway <laughs> um you start so okay. So you start to have things where the the abilities directly impact the uh, character type archetype that they're meant to play, right? Like uh, intelligence is affecting how many spells or your chance to learn spells. Uh, strength is affecting your ability to hit things, which fighters want to do. But I would still say the amount by which they affect these things is very low, and mm-hmm. that like yep. it's still not that big of a deal. Like I could still play uh, an eight intelligence wizard, and it's fine.
1: Totally, totally. In BX, yeah. particularly, there's there's no there's no effect that intelligence has on your spellcasting capacity whatsoever. Right. right. Um, I would argue I could even or... play.
0: You know, uh, 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 I, I could play a fighter with strength six. It's not the best, but I'm not at such a ridiculous disadvantage that you're like, why are you playing a fighter with that character class? Mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Those stats. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, one interesting, interesting thing I'll just. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, part part of that argument, though, is just the style of play and what kind of things you're encountering, because, um, you know, a couple, uh, a a plus two or plus three difference into hit Mm -hmm. does feel fairly substantial, but I also think the style of play in those games is less about hitting things, right? (laughs) It's more about maybe avoiding those fights or playing more intelligently to, like, unearth the treasures and... Get out of there without exposing yourself to a dangerous fight.
1: Agreed, agreed. It's a uh, early D D is a war. It's not a, a sport. Yeah, um, yeah. That's an interesting way to right. put it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and now it depends on, on what say. die you're rolling, okay. right? If you're rolling, a, if you're rolling a, a D twenty to hit, plus a plus one or plus two isn't that much. But then if you're rolling like a D six to maybe open a door or for damage, right? That's a that's a much bigger swing, and a lot of people will say uh bonuses to your damage are a lot more uh, important than bonuses to your two hit um and i am pretty convinced about that actually so um yep. if you're doing you know and again early D had a lot more d6 based stuff right as people yeah. always get re- reminded by when they when they play my games is you're rolling d6s to open a door to hear a noise to avoid a trap uh on and on and on like that and then if there's a bonus to that it's actually a pretty big swing all of a sudden good point Mm. yeah Mm. now one thing i'll point out is that that we it's easy for even for me to forget about sometimes is that the er, there was another thing that ability scores impacted in uh first second and zero edition if you include the supplements and that was what that the classes were locked behind requirements for particular ability scores Right. And that all got wiped out as of third edition, so that hasn't been the case for going on 22 years now. But um, in zero edition, right, you had the four, I'll say, four basic classes, Fighter, Cleric, Wizard, Thief. And as we saw in the example that Gygax was making fun of his sample player, as we saw in the example, you could pick any one of those four classes. It didn't matter what your ability scores. And i agree with you paul you could work perfectly proficiently regardless of your ability scores but as they started to roll out right when that when the supplements came out and they started to roll out these extra variant you know what we would call subclasses of a paladin or a monk or a ranger or, or a druid or something like that um you know what you know they they were all they always had these requirements of in order to qualify for this special class you need to have extra ability scores, for example, Paladin, you had to have a charisma of 17. You have to have 17 or 18 charisma to get in the Paladin class. And interestingly, there was no, right. There's no attempt for those classes to be balanced against your base classes. They were purely additive, right? So a Paladin had everything that a fighter had plus extra stuff on top. So there was this, uh, so the balance mechanism at the time was you need to have extra high ability scores to qualify for these special classes. And in you know, late zero, first, second, a lot of the uh, interest in high, having higher ability scores was to qualify for these special classes. And of course that doesn't exist anymore. So I, I have this very
0: uh, distinct memory as a kid. Um, I was playing in a d d campaign that was run actually at camp. Uh, so one of the activities is you could play D&D. And um, I remember the first day that that first session of that, uh, the counselors were surprised at just how many kids signed up to do this. Like, they were clearly, they, the counselor was prepared to run a D&D campaign, and we had something like 15, 16 kids show up, or something very big. And he was like, nice. this is too many. Um, uh, and so they quickly That's came up with a plan says. to like... I, I understand. But, um, <laughs> I, think, I think we were pl- we were either playing first or second edition at this point. And um, the counselor decided, like, we're going to split this group up into actually three parties, three different adventuring parties, and I'm going to DM them on different times. Uh, we're going to slice up the time. We're going to DM them on different times. But for now, since you're all here, let's go ahead and make characters, and we can figure out, you know, once, once we have this big pool of characters, we can figure out how to break you up into parties. So it was a very interesting experience because he basically got like 15 kids Sitting around making characters and then building teams out of those characters, right? Like literally yeah. like, yeah, it was kind of a neat, neat like it was a total accident that it happened that way. Yeah. But in retrospect, I'm like, that's super cool. We should do that more often. Anyway, it's like I a whole this meta up.
1: generation question of like I love yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was pretty neat. And and I bring this up specifically now because my the other key memory of this event is we're sitting around and kids are rolling dice and this one kid just comes up with just amazing stats and immediately everyone's looking over his shoulder and going oh you can be a paladin right and that was it right it was like of the 15 or 16 of us one person could be a paladin and everyone was very excited about that and there was no like this the poor kid had no choice right he was like you're going to be a paladin because everyone around Mm -hmm. you was like you have to be a paladin you can do it yeah. And it was very exciting and it was you know and and there you go and there's your kind of like statistical you know evidence that like it's rare and difficult right one out of 16 yeah. kids got got a paladin
1: yes exactly is not that interesting it's such an interesting i'm so that what a wonderful memory actually but that was <laughs> my experience like first edition all the way through first edition is if you actually rolled with 17 or 18 you were almost committed to you had to run a paladin um at that point because otherwise no one would ever see one and it's interesting (laughs) because i i feel like you know i feel like someone could complain about that but it's interesting because there was an you know there was a, a sensibility at the time that you know what's happening for player character generation is not purely just power fantasy but you're in a world and I think that, I mean that later on there was a, there was a, I, th- I think I've seen a number of things that you know Gygax and company just assumed that there would be equity between the rules between player characters and all the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. you know with with a couple of small exceptions, whatever happened for player characters should basically be what's happening for the rest of the world. And so with the idea of like how what is what does our world building look like? What is the demographics or profile of our world? That's going to bleed through into the character generation, and you are going to experience the same thing, uh, and vice versa. So mm-hmm. I, I like that that you know it clearly communicated, and it, it absolutely happened in that situation that having a pa- paladins were super rare, and people got really excited about seeing one, and um, I I haven't seen anything since that communicated that same excitement about a particular player class. No matter how, you know, wahoo they've tried to make classes since, that moment where you kind of expected not to have that, and then it, you know, it, uh, it's, it stumbles out at, at everybody, was, was super exciting.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, paladins um, had to be lawful
1: good. I don't know if there's any viewers watching <laughs> that don't know that right of of the nine alliance paladins had to be lawful and they had to be good there was no other choice that was what paladins were about um and of course that's uh, that's very different now yeah
2: yeah that's fascinating
0: gosh i feel like there's there's and we're we're running low on timing god damn it oh, okay uh, we're running low on time here, and I, and I feel like there's a dozen different things that we haven't talked about, and so I wanted to bring them up quickly and see if there's anyone here that you want to glom onto. But, like, we haven't talked about percentile strength. We haven't talked about um, 46 dropped the lowest. When did that show up? Yeah. Um,
1: I, I, we, should, we should say that. That has been there since first edition, right? A mm-hmm. common uh, misconception is that first edition D&D had 3D6 in order, and it absolutely did not. That is not said anywhere in any of the books. Uh, One thing I will say that's interesting about you know first edition AD&D is that the players' handbook has no way of generating ability scores. That's locked away in the among other things. That's locked away in the DM's book as a secret, right? And there's four different (laughs) methods that the DM can opt in their campaign. There they are. Thank you for bringing those up. That's in the DM's guide for first edition. Right. Uh, Right. None of them are roll three d six in order. The first method is the first method in fifth edition it's roll four d six and drop the lowest and sort them to your taste and that has you know largely the first method in first edition and that it largely is what we you know are familiar with as the the base the basis for how you make abilities in first and second and third and it's an option fourth and that's the first thing out of the box in the fifth
0: Um, what do you think like why why this push like because clearly Stats are rated from 3 to 18 based on the generation method, right? Like, that's clearly derivative of the fact that you're rolling 3d6. That's how you get. Like, otherwise, the choice of rating uh, on a scale of 3 to 18 is ridiculous. Why would you pick those numbers? Um, but then there was clearly this push to, like, tinker with the probability, shift that curve on over to the right, and make char- player characters generally better than a 3d6 roll would actually
1: produce. Agreed. Well, you know, let me just, you know what, Uh, he does, uh, uh, he does have a little bit of uh, motivation for that. I didn't put it in the um, uh, slide online, but he says, um, this is what he says in first edition to to motivate that. As AD&D is an ongoing game of fantasy adventuring, it is important to allow participants to generate a viable character of the race and profession which he or she desires while it would be possible to generate some fairly playable characters by rolling 3d6 there is often an extended period of attempts at finding a suitable one due to quirks of the dice and etc and then you get these four methods here so part of the motivation there is actually weirdly i think to qualify right for those special classes that are locked mm-hmm. and then that actually does culminate 6 years later there's a method 5 Six years later, there's a method five uh that comes out in his Unearthed Arcana supplement just moments before he's booted out of the company, in which you get to pick your class first and then you're guaranteed minimum ability scores for that class. Interesting.
0: I think you have a slide on method yeah. five. Yeah, I'm I do, it. right. I do. Yeah. Um I it's big yeah, enough. I haven't many... Yeah, yeah i I'm, I'm I'm gonna find it, but uh, can you go ahead and just read it out to us?
1: Yeah, um it's uh, uh I don't have it right oh, in front long. of me, but the point is, um yeah, thank you, there it is. um mm-hmm. so yeah, oh, interesting this method can only be used to create human player characters, <laughs> of course, um, <laughs> of course, so, and what it says is it gives a player an opportunity to generate a character of a desired class subject to dm's approval. And again yeah. this is in the dm's only section of this book um but it does allow uh, the player to pick the class first and then what you see in that table is here's how many dice you're gonna roll for the ability to take the best three so like if you're a paladin on the second row there you would roll seven dice take best three for your strength you roll five dice take best three for your int you'd roll nine dice take best three for your charisma but if you still get less than 17 you get the 17 that's going to qualify you for paladin. That's the idea. There's an additional column there for comeliness that we are not going to talk about today. Not talking about <laughs> that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So so we were going in the direction where clearly uh Gary was having people that, you know, were desirous of the special classes that were locked behind ability scores. And he was going, and at least part of the motivation was clearly to give people more options for their classes culminating here, where maybe now you can just yeah. pick your class to begin with. Um, yeah, you-, you know, so more flexibility, but less excitement when it happens. Yeah. That's the yin-yang yeah. of that, that design decision.
0: And, and I, I feel like this is really seeing that flux between uh, what you were talking about before about how you want the player generation system to be reflective of the greater world Right? And, and the, the statistics in that world, paladins should be very rare, therefore it should be very difficult to make a paladin, versus eventually a play group playing together for a while, and, and I can just totally hear the players going like, "We never get to play with a paladin. You made all these cool rules for paladins, and we never get to use them. What the hell? I really want to see, I would really want, for once in my life to play a paladin. How can we make that happen? Yeah. And this is totally reasonable yeah. i think it's a very reasonable request and it's reasonable for the dm to be like yeah you're right you know what i made all these rules for paladin i want to see it in play you want to play a paladin we should make that possible
1: i think there's a tension there i think there's yeah. a, i think there's yeah. a real tension there um the you know the the you know and this is i mean frankly someone who has lived from the from the 1900s to the 21st century um you know this is sort of what this is sort of what the 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 slide in our life has been as things get easier and easier you know they're they're less and less meaningful frankly there's mm-hmm. you know the, the as the productive challenge goes away there there's surprisingly less excitement in this thing that we we worked for so long to get to um so i think there's at least a little bit of tension there I know of, you know, there's, you know, I remember Gary telling a story about this one monster um, in his Greyhawk campaign that nobody ever beat. Nobody ever beat and it. Had, and it had the best treasure that anybody had ever seen. And he had some kind of secret behind the scenes that nobody ever figured out. And, you know, Gary took it to his grave. Nobody figured it out and nobody ever will, right? And that's why I'm talking about it right now. And that's why, yeah, and, that, yeah. and on the one hand, that's absolutely crazy, but it still gets under my skin that there's, there was this secret that in the Greyhawk campaign that, that people were confronting for years that literally no one ever figured out. And that is what's burrowed into my head yeah, is specifically yeah. the thing that they couldn't do. That's so yeah. there's, hmm. there's, a bit, there's a bit, there's at least a bit of, give, of a give and take. The more, the more, the easier you make those things, I think that there is some amount of, uh eventness to them that
2: that gets dialed down at the same time.
0: Dan, we are we're in the last five minutes. What what are your final Dan, thoughts I, on Dan, stat Dan, generation?
1: My final <laughs> thoughts last an hour, Pa. I have a whole separate section. I have a whole separate section here. So you know you started mm-hmm. off right. You started off saying, you know, we you and I like to sit down at a table and we like to roll three d six in order and we like yep. to decide what the character is like. And, you know, I think that there is um, it, 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 it's an interesting question about whether the role playing should be about. You know, because people in the world, you know, you know, existentially. People in the world are have constraints, right? And, you know, there's there's one existentialist philosopher who said, I am my body. Right. And we don't. And we don't get to entirely pick our body. Right. Mm. And so there's there's almost a philosophical question about whether role playing is an opportunity to experience existences that we didn't expect and we would not have imagined in advance versus. Is it just? Is it an entertainment that's purely a reflection of our existing desires, right? So if we come at the table and it's just a matter of the ideas that I already had in my head are going to get reflected back, right, by my choice versus me getting surprised by a role or an existence that I had never thought of before, um, which is, you know, which is a more interesting stretch. Um, and obviously, we have, different, we have different expectations for what we come when we come to a role-playing game. But I like the stretch. I like having randomness, and I like having being surprised by characters that I never would have visualized before, uh, before they appeared to me at the table, frankly. Um, and for that, I like you know, my, my, my system, as some people in the chat have said, is a little bit of both. Uh, if you're making a first-level character in my game, you get to pick one ability to begin with that you roll extra dice for. And the other five, you've got to roll 3d6 in order for. Um, and I like, you know, I like at least some of the randomness so that we get to be surprised.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, i am have a similar event similar, uh, myself, but um, I have a slightly different role, which is just I do 3d6 in order and then I allow one swap. You mm-hmm. can pick two abilities and change their positions. So if you are desperate to have a high strength, you can figure out a way to make that happen. But, totally legitimate i love it could roll i used to still yeah. roll straight threes right could still roll straight threes possible yeah never seen it yep. i mean i think i would be really excited to. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny too that i mean, think it's, it's funny that that's the one i'm excited for straight 18s oh that's boring whatever straight threes that's an interesting character <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and in original D, it's not they're not that much you know weaker than anybody else it's you know you can yeah. i you know my longest you know my favorite and longest running character that i ever played started off with one hit point yeah technically in first in uh, first edition i think um yeah so they're not that you know having really low ability scores doesn't make that much difference and you can you know use that to to uh, motivate your performance and maybe you can Maybe you can make them powerful. Now, the chances are, obvious, are frankly stacked against you, but you should try it. You should, tr- you should try taking an all-threes character and seeing what you can do with them.
0: But, but um, you know, conversely, I would say I would do that if you're playing an old edition of D&D. I would say yes. that the modern editions of D&D have shifted in direction enough that... Um, that's just not going to be fun, right? The mechanics and the style of play have shifted to the point where stats are important, and playing a character who's at a significant disadvantage from the other characters at the table in a modern version of D anD D is making the game less fun for that that player.
1: So agreed, agreed. You would need to play, you know, basic or original, basically. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so is there one? best way to roll stats, I would argue, no, there is a way that is best for the addition of the game you're playing.
1: Agreed. And the type of players you have. Uh, At the moment, I'm actually kind of on the fence. You know, I think that the original D&D method of the referee just hands you the abilities actually makes quite a bit of sense for for people that have, that D&D just didn't exist in the world and you don't know abilities or races or classes. As people learn more about the game and they have more awareness and more history with it, then it, there's an additional reason, um, based on that awareness, that, the, that they would want to pick a particular class that they haven't played before. Um, and I can see additional reasons to be able to tune it for the particular class that you want. So I can see at least, even with the exact same addition, I can imagine two different tracks for if you're a brand new player, consider this, maybe a pregen. And if you're an expert player, you get to actually craft your character the way that you want. That could happen mm-hmm. in the same game, I could imagine. Now, how you balance the stats of that, eh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a, a prickly problem, but I could see that too. Viewers,
0: if you have uh, opinions uh, on, on the best way to generate stats or a different way, do you have a method seven? Uh, method, is that what we got into? Method six?
1: <laughs> I think they're six. I there's six. There might be six. You know what? Great. There's six editions. You roll a d6, pick which method you want randomly. You That's right. a good method. Great.
0: Great. If you have a different method, please uh, leave leave a, a comment for us here in the video. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Curious to hear how other people play it and uh, see if that spawns additional conversations.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure people have opinions, and I'm interested in uh, hearing what the what they think too. What, you know should sixth edition do something different should they add something or are we settled on these these three methods that we see in fourth and fifth edition now um again the rolling dice one is the same as since first edition um what they should i wonder what when if they should change anything in six but remember using uh
0: at what point do we stop using a 3 to 18 scale when does that become irrelevant post that one out
1: there for you. <laughs> the, the, uh, uh, even first edition supplement books have have numbers that go past eighteen. Not the core books, but supplement books. So um Okay, now you get my now I'm doing a database day search sorry. on that. <laughs> That's really man. dangerous. <laughs> it
0: disrupted you. It disrupted you. <laughs>
1: That was really dangerous. I love it. Um, uh, So if you're new to the channel, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us. We're the Wandering DMs, and we're on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok. And by God, we have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites, so look for us there.
0: (laughs) If you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only podcast format, you can get those files at our website at wanderingdms.com also through various podcast carriers such as iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher. If you're listening to us right now on one of those third-party sites, please take a moment to rate and review us on that site. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, we really do. And of course, huge thanks to the patrons who support the show, uh, both on Patreon and with great uh, uh, suggestions for, for episodes on our Discord server. If you would like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash and you'll see our different tiers. Access uh, discounts on March, uh, access to our Discord server, and uh, you can be included in our after party chat that we hold every Sunday. We'll be there in about 10 minutes to continue the discussion live um, and get more of your ideas about uh, options for ability score generation that we haven't tried or haven't thought about ourselves. And uh, Paul, are you going to run out to the lake uh, right <laughs> now? Yes. Is that what's happening?
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> p- quite possibly. Uh, I will. If possible, I will poke into the after-party chat today. But I am wandering. Actually, I will be traveling, so uh, might be difficult. So, so internet gods uh, willing, maybe I'll see you there. But if not, uh, you're gonna have to carry the conversation. Though. Yeah.
1: Cool, cool. I'll be interested to see what the method of travel is. Are we gonna in the in the after-party chat? are We're gonna see Paul in a boat? Are we gonna see Paul <laughs> in a in a uh, in a in a plane? Are we gonna see him in a car or a train? Hey, that even <laughs> rhymes. <laughs> So
2: that's oh, don't
1: forget about our other shows, right? You know, this fall, we we have other shows planned. I guess I can't talk about those yet, but in a couple of weeks, we'll probably um, we'll probably have another number of other shows. At the moment, yeah. uh, I will invite people to join me uh, late night Thursdays for my playthrough Pool of Radiance, uh, which we're having a lot of fun with. And I'm getting a lot of help because I haven't played it before. So everything's a surprise and everything's new to me. Um, so check that out on Thursday. And then we will be back. Uh, next week for another show. I think we know, I think we have an idea what we're going to talk about next week. Maybe. i just surprised Paul. <laughs> anyway, so we'll figure yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, Everything's a surprise all the time. So we'll figure it yeah. out. Don't forget, we are, of course, live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we hope that you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone.